from sunny Minnesota, this is the Polaris Podcast, brought to you by the Polaris Help Center. It's a new year, but at least one thing remains the same. That's I'm Joe Zemer, and I am still not an expert. And the point of this podcast is that if you're in the same boat, or in this case, snowmobile, I guess, that's okay, because this is the first of our two Beginner's Guide episodes. And we're going to be joined by Mandy Fable, one of our Polaris ambassadors and one of the creators of Granola and Gasoline. Mandy is a relative newcomer to the world of snowmobiling, and if you're just starting out or thinking about starting out, her story and her advice will be both helpful and entertaining. We are thrilled to be joined by one of our Polaris ambassadors. Mandy, would you mind introducing yourself to everyone? Yeah, thanks, Joe. I'm happy to be here. I'm Mandy Fable. I live in Lander, Wyoming, and I've been riding for about four seasons now, so newer in the scheme of riding. Uh, but very passionate about snowmobiling, uh, as well as many other sports, which I'm sure we'll get into as well. But really happy to be here today. Well, thanks again. And before we get too far into the conversation, I kind of want to make sure to tell everyone where they can find more of your content. First, can you explain to everyone what granola and gasoline is and how that came to be? Because I think that's something that's going to tie into a lot of the things we talk about later in this episode when we talk about advice for beginners and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Uh when I started first snowmobiling, I sort of got into it before my husband did. I like to say that I drug him into the sport. Um, he is now equally passionate and loves it. Um, but we came from a very non-motorized background. So we did a lot of rock climbing, mountain biking, backcountry skiing. We actually both worked for a wilderness guiding school called Knowles for about a decade. And so that was kind of our social circle was non-motorized community. And then we got into snowmobiling, sort of fell hard for a sport that is equally fun, challenging, beautiful to all those other sports I just mentioned. But we noticed there was a little bit of apprehension on both sides. Um, I like to say some of our new snowmobile friends, I think they didn't trust us because we were too skinny. Um, maybe it wasn't just physical appearance, but we didn't necessarily look like or talk like the norm of their snowmobile friends. Um, and then likewise, our friends back home who were going climbing or skiing every weekend were thinking to themselves, like, is this for real? What are these people doing? And so we ended up being a little bit of a bridge or a translator to both sides to sort of talk about what the other side might be thinking or how they're motivated or what they're excited about, what questions they might have. And so we came up with the idea after, I think it was after our second full season of writing, to start this brand called Granola and Gasoline to just sort of share stories and use levity and humor to break apart some stereotypes. <laughs> we like to say we make fun of everyone, ourselves included. Um, and so we kind of use that to build some bridges and connection. And it's been a fun way to tell our own stories and then also to, to get to be a bridge on both sides of that equation. So we have an Instagram page called Granola and Gasoline, a YouTube page, where we share videos called Granola and Gasoline. And we do have a website with a little bit of merchandise at granolaandgasoline.com. And among the things you can find on that site is your podcast, The Marital Podcast. Uh, oh, yeah. How did that come to be? <laughs> yeah, so that was actually a little bit of a quarantine project. Obviously, we're filming this in or recording this in 2020, and it's been a funny year for all of us in different ways. Um, my husband and I at the time were living in a 600 square foot apartment that we were both working from home in. We had sort of temporarily relocated to a different town for his job. And that's what we were living in when we both went into remote work status. Um, 
And interestingly, some in some ways, life became easier. You know, you don't have to ask someone how their day was when the only thing you heard all day was them going through their day. Um, so we ended up deciding to launch this podcast um, called Marital. The, the subtitle is Adventure Therapy for Marital Irritation. And we joke in our own lives and also with many of our riding and climbing partners when we see relationships sort of rub each other the wrong way out in the backcountry or up on the mountain that, you know, something just doesn't go quite right. And usually there's some emotional intensity to it. So we started to kind of tackle some of those topics or how to recreate with your spouse or your, you know, the person you're dating in the backcountry and some advice for doing it. So we'll see if we keep it going. It was we did it. It was easy to do in quarantine where we had nowhere else to go. And then we started going on adventures and we got a little less consistent, but we're hoping to bring it back over the winter as well. Well, I think particularly in the times we're living in now, I would highly recommend the don't coach your partner episode. I think that's one yeah. we can all, nice. <laughs> we can all draw on that one. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's real. Just, I think there's a line in the podcast. that's like, just don't do it. Whatever it takes, just don't coach your partner. It does not end well. <laughs> You also have a blog on the site too. I'd recommend that all the content. And again, you mentioned your social media pages. How often can people expect content from you guys? We try. If you know, it's not our full time job for either of us or or anywhere close to it. But we try to get things up at least a few times a week on the Instagram side and a couple times a month on the YouTube side, depending on kind of what we're doing. We never go adventure for the sake of producing content. We are always just pulling an iPhone out of a pocket and capturing whatever we happen to be doing. And sometimes it's enough to make a video and sometimes the snow was too deep and we didn't take enough footage to make a video. So just kind of depends on where we're at. Well, I think it's, it would all be a great help to anyone who's new to the sport. Uh, so I'd recommend everyone check that out. So now let's delve into our topic of the day and that's getting started in the world of snowmobiles. You mentioned you're relatively new to riding. So what got you into riding? Why did you decide to start doing this? Yeah, it's a great question. It, it, I think it is, I'll just say up front, it's a really intimidating sport to start doing. There's so much equipment, there's so much knowledge, information, there's so many things that you just kind of need to know to even get your body on a snowmobile in the mountains on day one. Um, and I feel lucky. I had, I actually grew up doing a little bit of motorsports. My family did dirt biking. And we did have snowmobiles for a really short period, but it was, I mean, it's essentially not even the same sport as what snowmobiles in the early 90s looked like. Um, so the way I kind of fell back into it is my cousin and uncle were um, going to ride their sleds. They still rode sleds and they were riding up on Togedy Pass. And I live in Lander. And they said, you should come up for dinner, which is just a couple hours away. And I was like, well, do you have an extra snowmobile? I'd love to like go out with you guys one day thinking in my head like I'm athletic this will be pretty easy I love winter I ski up there all the time and so they were like we actually do have an extra sled you're welcome to come up and ride and it ended up being one of those epic weekends where it snowed two feet on several consecutive days it was so deep it was so fun and it was so hard and I actually think that the it's so hard part is what really grabbed me of like Here's this sport that I feel so far away from grasping, but I got just enough to kind of get a taste of how fun it could be. And so I actually came home from that trip and told my husband that I was going to buy a snowmobile. And he sort of looked at me like, you're going to do what? This hadn't been part of any of our relationship or our adventures or anything of the sort. Um, 
And so that was its own process. I'll just say up front, he, he did a Google search for depreciation curve of snowmobiles. And you should just never do that. It's just not a good idea to do that. So that was kind of my intro was just kind of falling in love with the act of it after two days of riding and then starting to sort through how to tackle it and how to get started in the sport. What was that process like? Then you decide, okay, this is a thing I'm going to start doing. What were your next steps? Yeah. So getting a sled was the next step. And I kind of waffled of how much money do I want to spend? And could I just rent a sled a few times to go? Like, what are the important things? And I had several friends who were excellent snowmobilers and were really kind and supportive. And they really advised me. They said, don't buy a cheap sled because one, you're not, you're, it's going to be so much harder to get better. You're already starting at a disadvantage of not riding. And no one is going to want to go ride with you on an old sled that breaks down and you have a hard time riding. And so I did buy a used sled. My first sled was a Polaris RMK 600. And that was, that was the perfect sled for me. I'm pretty small. I weigh 110 pounds. And the 600, it's not that much lighter, but the, the less amount of power just allowed me to get more control of that power and use it more comprehensively. So that was sort of the route that I went. And I kind of advise friends getting into the sport to do the same thing, that buying an old beat up sled is just not, if you really want to do it, that's not the avenue to take because you don't want to spend your whole time fixing it or worse, getting stuck out in the backcountry because something, you know, went wrong. So buying a sled in the last I think five years or so is a great way to go. And the less miles you can sort of manage financially, the better. And then I, I tell people, if you can't do that, then I actually do recommend just renting. It's a bit of a pain. Like if you get an invite to go with someone at the last minute and you're trying to figure out how to rent a sled or coordinate getting it somewhere, it might prevent you from some, some trips of going. But I think riding, snowmobiles have come so far in the last you know, handful of years. And riding the best equipment really does make it easier. So once you have that sled, then it's kind of a matter of figuring out, okay, how do I ride this thing and how do I ride it safely and properly? What was that process like for you? How did you go about it? Yeah, it's terrifying, well, especially once you own it and you just spend all this money on it. <laughs> um, my first day out, actually, I had a little bit of a run-in where I accidentally jumped over this dam. I didn't really mean to. I thought it was just a little rise in the trail. And I sort of launched off the dam and I actually bent the steering post with my chest, um, which was not a great experience. Um, I ended up being fine. I did proceed to go buy a chest protector immediately, which I actually would say that is a precursor to even your first day of riding is making sure you have the right gear. Um, and I had some of it from my background in skiing. I did have to make sure to get a, a good helmet, and I got a lightweight one. Sometimes people buy the cheaper helmet, and it's heavy, and it's, you just get exhausted. Um, and then the same with, you know, if you're going to ride in the mountains, avalanche gear, which I had from skiing. So some of the things sort of translated for me. I had to buy new snowmobile boots because those are different from anything else. Um, and then I've uh, acquired other items as I've stayed in the sport longer. The other thing you had to figure out is how to transport your sled. We had an old uh, Toyota Tundra, and it had a, a shell on it. And so I sort of, again, convinced my husband to let me take off the shell, 
and load the sled in the back of it. And then because I didn't have a ramp right at the start, I had to have friends help me load and unload it. So that was its own production. And then the next year actually built a wooden ramp um, to load and unload it, which was pretty hilarious. It was just, you know, made of plywood and had some ski tracks on it um, and would kind of pull out this old wooden crankety thing, load and unload the sled, but it worked. And I think that's an important thing to tell people. You don't have to have all the greatest gear and all the coolest things. I think spend your money on the sled and then cut corners on price of things like a ramp or, you know, not having a fancy trailer. If you can have a place to store your sled inside and then just transport your sled on a different trailer or in the back of your truck. So kind of got all those factors lined up. And then the riding itself, I was fortunate to have a lot of great mentors, both female and male, who told me from the beginning you're not going to use the mountain bar. You're going to learn to put the sled on edge. It was almost because you're so small, you're going to have to learn to ride this thing the right way. And I feel really thankful for that. I think probably my progression at the beginning was slower than maybe somebody who was kind of using the mountain bar just to get around or could finagle things on two skis. And I was trying to learn how to put it on edge. But I'm so thankful because those tools are what have allowed me to progress and advance really quickly. And then the only other thing I'll add to that is you just have to ride a ton. Um, I think that I rode 30 days my first year on a sled and have continued to ride that or more the next couple of seasons. It takes a lot of time on the sled to figure it out. They're just complicated machines. But having someone teach you what you should be practicing and how to learn is a really important thing. Um, I also took a couple of clinics, one from Stephanie Schwartz and one from Matt Ent, and those were hugely helpful as well, just kind of progressing and getting better. Now with the benefit of hindsight and being able to draw on your experience, is there anything that you would have done differently or advice that you give to new people now that you wish you had heard when you started out? You know, this this will be a little bit of a, a gender answer. I, I just was recently talking with one of my good sledding friends and mentors about this. I think sometimes women can be a little bit more timid. They don't like to fail. They don't want to be reckless with their bodies for good reason. Maybe they're smarter, hard to say. Um, but sometimes I think the reason men can progress faster is they have a higher sense of what's possible for themselves. And so they kind of quote go for it more and sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't I've certainly seen it not work out and you know people damage a sled or just get into a tough spot and I think in general it's a stereotype but in general women can be a lot more hesitant or afraid to go for it and the difference of that learning progression is huge because in snowmobiling so many times having momentum using throttle being aggressive is truly the right technique get something done and so I really encourage women in particular don't be afraid of you know rolling your sled or getting stuck or making mistakes the most important thing is that you are trying and learning and progressing and people see that drive and that desire to learn and they see that progression and they are excited for you they don't care if you've gotten stuck for the fourth time in the last hour if you're pushing your limits they're more annoyed if you're unwilling to learn and still trying to like do something with two skis on the snow instead of learning to put it on edge. That's when it gets frustrating. So 
that would probably be my advice. I think another thing that can maybe intimidate some people is the thought of maintenance, that when you own the snowmobile, you also mm-hmm. have to take care of it. What was that like for you in terms of a learning curve and how much maintenance are you doing on your own right now? And how much are you saying I'm going to go to a dealership to have them help me with it? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually have a really funny story. Um, I, I bought a sled in March, kind of end of the year. I rode it a couple times and then put it away for the winter. And over that summer, I actually ended up riding mountain bikes with Stay and Skinner. He had bought a mountain bike. And I'll be honest, he was pretty bad. <laughs> he kind of got worked on this day of mountain biking. He ended up having, he'll kill me for saying this publicly, but he ended up having to like sit on the side of the trail because he couldn't finish the ride. And I gave him some fruit snacks to try to get his blood sugar back up. <laughs> and um, So that was how I had actually met him and gotten to know him a little bit was through this lens that was like my comfort zone, but not as much his. And so the next fall when I was getting my sled out and I went to kind of go started and figure out what to do, I actually texted Say and was like, Sayin, am I supposed to do something with the spark plugs? And he was like, you should probably replace them, you know, if it's a, if it's a used machine and you didn't change them last year. And then I wrote back, okay, where are the spark plugs again? Um, and so I, I laughed at, you know, like asking Santa where the North Pole is. Um, like probably I could have asked someone at a lower level how to change the spark plugs. But that's what I love about the snowmobile community. He didn't like send me a link or try to tell me to go talk to someone else. He just told me where to find them and how to check if they were good or bad. Um, and that's a really cool part of this community as well. And so I think I sort of learned as I needed to. It's a benefit of having a newer machine that you aren't spending a ton of time wrenching on it. Um, interestingly, my husband ended up deciding to get a skidoo when he did get into snowmobiling. And so we sort of have this rule that we don't wrench on each other's sleds. Um, and I think that served me well because it's helped me to learn. And I don't just rely on him and he doesn't rely on me to fix something or to make something work. I do remember probably my second season, I was trying to get a little more power out of the 600. And I changed the spring and the weights in it. And I had some help figuring out how to do it. And then I kind of put it all back together by myself. And I was working on it in our old trailer, enclosed trailer. And I went to start the sled after I put it all back together. And I didn't have the side panels on yet. And I put my helmet on to start the sled because I just had this vision of like, the spring flying off, hitting the side of the helmet and like knocking me out or something. Um, so it is intimidating. There's so many resources on YouTube and online now that you really can't do it yourself with just a little bit of research and some resources to call if you kind of get yourself into a bind. But I would say I do I do most of it myself. And fortunately, because players make such great machines, it's actually a very small amount um, of maintenance. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> Have you yeah. been able to get other people then to kind of follow your path and get into snowmobiling for the first time? Yeah, that's been a fun privilege and opportunity through granola and gasoline. We get a lot of references from people who are skiers who want to get into sledding, and they'll just send us a message that's like, hey, what should I buy? How do I know what to do? You know, what, where should I start? And so we kind of help coach them through their options and a lot of the things that you and I have already talked about today. And to do it in a little less intimidating way. I mean, I can still remember walking into the dealership the first time I, w- I wanted to buy boots so that I could maybe go with a friend again. And that's something I couldn't really borrow because my feet were so small. 
And I remember walking in in my, you know, a Patagonia puffy jacket, very much not looking like I belong, and it taking a little bit of courage to sort of say, I want to buy some snowmobile boots, you know. And of course, they were great, and they were happy to help me. But you just feel, you can feel a little bit out of sorts when you're new in a sport and not know the language and the kind of cultural norms. And so we like helping people who are entering that world for the first time to sort of navigate through that space. Um, and then I do a lot of help um, when we ride with people. This happened just last weekend. We were up in Cook City and we grouped up with another group, some young kids. And one of them had been riding his whole life. The other kid was brand new. And I could just tell that no one had given him any advice or coaching about how to ride. And so he was doing well. He was an athletic kid, but he just didn't know the basics of how to put it on edge and how to steer it and those types of things. So we got to kind of a play zone and he had stopped and, or maybe I stopped and I kind of waved him over and I was like, Hey, no pressure, but do you, if you want to learn some tips for riding, I'm happy to share some with you. And he was like, yes, please. And so I showed him a few drills and things to work on. And then it was neat. At the end of the day, his friend was like, hey, thanks for teaching my friend how to ride snowmobiles. I'm not very good at that. So I think I really enjoy all phases of helping other people be introduced to the sport for sure. Well, and you guys kind of with your brand live in an interesting space there where you can do that. One thing I think about is some of these you know, barriers to entry, whether they're real barriers or perceived barriers. What are some of the most common ones you've seen? And were there ones that you encountered? Was there, was there a reason that you just didn't ride for a number of years? And then what advice do you have for people when they think that they are going up against those same barriers? Yeah, that's a good question. I think my advice would be you just have to sort of tackle them one at a time. You might not at all the same time figure out how to buy a sled, how to transport it, people you know you can ride with and learn from. Um, so to be patient and know that it's going to take a while, but also not to be hesitant or timid about it. Because if you only ride two or three times a year, it's going to be 30 years before you figure it out. <laughs> um, so I think it's that balance of having patience for yourself, but also working hard to progress or have as many opportunities as possible to get better because it can just be frustrating if you're always at the same level or you don't feel like you're progressing. Can you talk about two of some of the other sports that you take part in? You hinted at some of these in our conversation, but I think that's something that people should hear too, that you don't have to just be a snowmobiler, right? You can do plenty of other things and still enjoy it. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I spend the whole summer rock climbing some of my hardest climbs that I've ever done in my life. I always like to tease my climbing friends that I come out of snowmobile season with such a strong core from all the maneuvers of, you know, manipulating a 500 pound machine to then only having to use my body weight. And I, I usually climb really well out of snowmobile season because of the strength I've gained over the season and the endurance. Um, I also do a lot of mountain biking. I did a long 220 mile mountain bike hut trip this fall from Durango, Colorado to Moab, Utah. Um, my husband and I actually got married this sort of marathon elope wedding where we got buried on top of a peak in the Wind River Range of the Wyoming Mountains and included biking, hiking 26 miles, climbing a mountain, and then going back the other direction. So I think they complement each other. I think the other thing that's so neat is most of us have the same motivation for being out in the mountains. It's being in a beautiful place, 
with people we enjoy and people who love being in that place and, you know, having a reason to share a beer at the end of the day. And that goes through each of the sports that we do. And then the other fun part for us too has been taking some of our snowmobile friends into this more non-motorized side. So we've taken our friends rock climbing before. Um, this summer, I took Todd Williams up a mountain. That's actually the same mountain that we got married on. It's called Picora Peak in the Wind River Mountains. And it was a pretty fun flip because I had been participating in the Polaris photo shoot. And that's how I met Todd over the winter. And, you know, he has these really high standards. You know, you're never quite good enough for doing it right. And so I would tease him that, you know, I would, I would never be good enough. And then we flipped roles and all of a sudden I'm the rock climbing guide, you know, getting him up to the top of a mountain. And, you know, he was the nervous one or like, is this okay? Or like, what do we do here? So that part is just really fun too, to get to swap expertise and playgrounds with people who see it from a different lens. Well, once again, I would encourage everyone to make sure you check out all of Mandy's content, check out granola and gasoline. Mandy, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. I think this will be really helpful for all of our newcomers out there. Yeah, Joe, thanks. It was a pleasure talking with you. And I'll just say, too, we love random messages from people who don't know us saying, hey, I have this question, or can you help me figure this out, or who should I talk to? So don't hesitate. If you do want to reach out, um, happy to entertain any questions or help however we can. There you go. Well, thanks again. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Have a great day. You too. A huge thanks to Mandy for taking the time to talk to us. Make sure to check out all of her content, and you can find the appropriate links in the description of this episode. Another huge thanks to all of you for listening. A special welcome goes out to all of our first-time listeners. Welcome aboard. If you like what you've heard, please consider leaving us a five-star review. Then hit that subscribe button and tell your friends to do the same. If you are new to snowmobiles, make sure to browse our past episodes. There you can learn more about topics like proper gear and transport or the things you should be checking in your pre-ride inspection. And if you have questions or suggestions for future episode topics, use the link in the description of this episode to send us your thoughts. Then stay tuned for future episodes. So thanks again to Mandy and take care, everyone. This has been the Polaris Podcast. Hi, you've reached Joe. Sorry I missed your call. Please leave me your name, your number, and a short message, and I'll get right back to you. Thanks, and have a great day. Straight to voicemail. Okay, Joe, you need to tell them that the Polaris Health Center is their first stop for vehicle information, maintenance tips, and how-to videos. All they have to do is look for the help button in the upper right-hand corner of any Polaris brand website. They also need to remember that all riders should always wear helmets, eye protection, and protective clothing and footwear. Read, understand, and follow their owner's manual. Never ride under the influence of drugs or alcohol. And always ride within the limits of your own abilities and never engage in stunt or exhibition driving. Next time, answer your phone. Okay, bye.